faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. According to your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. of our brothers and sisters getting baptized. Let's see if we can show another one of those right quick. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. And you all may be seated. While our brothers and sisters are out there in the courtyard getting baptized, I just wanted to take a few moments to talk about the significance of this moment in the life of West Angeles. We'll be showing periodic footage of the baptisms happening outside at times during my discussion with you so you'll be able to see these wonderful moments during our service. But We'll also be showing the baptisms in their entirety tonight in our stream, so please be sure to log on tonight to be a part of our evening service and you will see all of the baptisms. But because of the pandemic, we had to stop baptizing people for a time because we wanted to make sure that we were being safe and no one got sick. We would have resumed, but as the pandemic slowed down, we got a new pastor right in the middle of that. Amen. That wasn't necessarily a reason to stop baptisms, but during that time, we were also finalizing the sale of the North Campus, which is where we were having our baptisms, and we had to vacate the North Campus because of the sale and move all of our ministry and administrative activities down here to the cathedral. So for a time, we did not have a place to baptize our brothers and sisters. And I spoke even on last night, I mean last week, of our intention to reactivate the baptismal pool right here behind us, which has not been used since we've been here. But we usually have our baptisms on a Sunday night, but since we're now going to start trying to have our baptisms on Sunday morning every once in a while, we'll be going to be trying to use this baptismal pool behind us. Amen. We just have to tighten up a few pipes here and there to make sure we don't flood the pulpit while we're doing it. Amen. But we do thank you for that. But even in the midst of all of that, we've been able to move forward with the construction of the Family Life Center just behind us. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for that. But needless to say, there has been so much change in transitioning happening around us that we've had to make many, many adjustments. And I want to personally thank all of you for bearing with us during this time of transition. And I want to thank you all for your patience. And the fact that you are still here worshiping the Lord with us lets me see like you and lets me know that you know and you see that God is going to do something great 
in the life of West Angeles. So give yourselves a hand for still being here and still worshiping the Lord with us. But I can't tell you how good it feels to see God's people getting baptized again here at West Angeles. Mm. The older I get, the more certain things seem to crash into my memory. There were certain things that I remember clearly, even as a young boy, even though I was too young to understand what they meant when I saw them happening around West Angeles. I remember seeing the saints dance and shout and praise the Lord until they fell out. Sometimes one of the women would be shouting and praising the Lord so hard and carrying on in the spirit that the other sisters would have to join hands and form a ring around her so she wouldn't fall into a pew or fall into someone else. But as a little boy of four, five, or six years old, I had no idea of what to make of everything that was going on up there at Old West Angeles. I just knew that it was loud, it was fun, and it was full of energy. I remember when we were constructing the baptismal pool at Old West Angeles on the hill, but my memories of baptism at West Angeles go back even further. You see, while that baptismal pool was being built in the church of Old West Angeles, on one Sunday afternoon service, Pastor Charles Blake Sr. held baptismal service in the little pool we had in our backyard. Don't get me wrong, it's not that our backyard was so big, it's just that the entire membership of West Angeles was so small that we could all fit in the backyard at that time and stand around the pool. I was so excited and perplexed at the sight of dad standing in the swimming pool with this, that white and black robe on that he had dunking people under the water. I had no idea what to make of what was happening at that moment. I had no idea of the significance of that moment in time. My brother, my sister, According to the confession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I did not know what it meant. At that time, I couldn't understand the significance of it. The beauty of what was happening there, I couldn't understand it. I mean, how could I? I was five. I hadn't really begun to live yet. Even as we eventually finished that baptismal pool at Old West Angeles on the hill, and I saw people getting lowered into the water and then come up giving praise and shouting hallelujah and raising their hands on a Sunday night, I still didn't quite know what it meant. Historically speaking, baptism is the public expression of a person's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we believe that salvation in Jesus is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus. But Jesus commanded all Christians to be baptized when they believed. 
But even before Jesus made his commandment to be baptized, John the Baptist had already been calling the people of Israel to repent for the kingdom of the Lord is at hand. He appeared seemingly out of nowhere, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All the country of Judea Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's why he was named John the Baptist. But in fact, the first actual individual baptism that was recorded in the Bible was when John baptized his cousin, Jesus the Christ. It was the start of Jesus's earthly ministry when the sky seemed to open up and Jesus heard the almighty say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is the best thing that you could ever hear God almighty say to you. Other than well done, that good and faithful servant enter into the blessing of the Lord. But even after Jesus arose from the dead and ascended, the early believers were baptized after professing their faith in Jesus Christ. When the church began on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, we are told in Acts, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got baptized. In Acts 8 and 26, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by Apostle Philip. He then went back to Ethiopia and set up the church there 350 years before Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. In Acts 9 and 18, the man who would eventually be known as Apostle Paul was baptized baptized after meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. Now it has been understood in theological circles that someone receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior didn't really upset the principalities and powers of that day because receiving Christ was an is an inward act that happened inside of your heart. You couldn't just glance at someone and just know that they had given their life to the Lord. But to be baptized well, that was an act of sedition. An act that permanently joined the believer to a community who had the audacity to challenge the Roman patriotic cry of allegiance, which was at the time the proclamation that Caesar is Lord. By getting baptized, the person was proclaiming and affirming publicly that there was a greater power even than Caesar. Baptism was an outward declaration that there was a greater power. There was something that transcended and left behind all worldly allegiances. The person being baptized now belonged to a community of people that affirmed that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. It publicly 
loudly identified you as someone that believed that there was a higher power than the established government of that day. It was treason, according to the Roman Empire. And treason, according to the Roman Empire, is punishable by death. It painted a bullseye on everyone that believed in Jesus or got baptized. You see, baptism put all, baptism put free citizens, subjects, and slaves of Rome all on the same level in the eyes of God, which at the time was an extremely subversive thought. No matter what economic or political status they were, they were all equally loved and valued by the Heavenly Father. It was a revolutionary world-ending thought according to the Roman Empire, which had stratifications of citizenship. Citizens, subjects, slaves. Their, their, their divisions were very clear regarding class. And getting baptized in Christianity destroyed all of that kind of makes you wonder how there can be so much division within the body of Christ nowadays. But that's another sermon. We'll get into that another time. My brother, my sister, according to the confession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, as I myself grew into adolescence, I started to hear what the words meant, even as myself was baptized around 16 years old, right down there at what used to be the North Campus. But at 16 years old, I really didn't know what the words meant. I didn't really know what it meant to be living a life but in a certain way, not really being alive. I didn't know what it meant to be to live thinking that you were free, but in all actuality, you were bound. Bound by perspectives and thought processes. Bound by certain habits. Bound by mistakes and bad decisions. I didn't know what it meant to be bound by regret. I didn't know what it meant to be bound by your past at 16. That isn't to say that I didn't make any mistakes or have any bad habits when I was 16. (laughs) That's just to say that when I was 16, I did not know that those habits and mistakes would eventually turn into the things that held me down, that kept me from being free and alive in the truest sense. I wasn't old enough at 16 to really regret anything that I had done yet. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't think that children should be baptized. We have some beautiful children here today that are getting baptized as we speak. But what did getting baptized as a young person did do for me, though, was that it laid a foundation for me to stand on as I grew and moved into life. And even when I wasn't living in the new life that was expressed when I was baptized as a youth, 
As I got older and started living my own life, I remembered getting saved and baptized. I I knew in my heart what I should be striving for even when I wasn't always living as who God created me to be. Give me an amen if you know what I'm talking about. Don't get high sedity today like you ain't never did what I'm talking about right here. Everybody who grew up in church knows what I'm talking about. But that's what it means to train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's one of the scriptures that Lady Deandra and I talk about, but we train them up as a child. The Bible skips a whole period of life before they get old. And there's that period of life in the middle there that has us parents so worried all the time. <laughs> But as I grew into adulthood and started making my own mistakes, started committing my own sins, I, like everyone else that one day reaches out to God, realized that I was bound by my flesh, dead in my sins. I realized that as much as Bishop and Lady May and my grandparents and the mother's board prayed for me when I was a child, that I could still be living life dead in my sins. I could still be living a half-life in the flesh. It wasn't until I was well in my adult years after yet another instance where I had to thank the Lord for his grace because I had made another mistake and had fallen and he forgave me again and again and again and again. It wasn't until after that that I began to wonder what does it mean to die to sin and be alive in Christ. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. If you ain't too bound by what, by giving off the impression that you ain't never made a mistake. I guess I should let all the perfect people give the Lord praise today. Okay, good. It should be quiet in here. But those beautiful people outside being baptized, They, along with us in here that have been baptized, still have to live in the newness of life that we've been giving. Look at them out there. Amen. Even though they're now being baptized, they still have to live in the newness of life that we have been given. You see, within the ordinance of baptism, this beautiful symbol is the core and essence of what we believe, that you can have a new life in Christ, that you can begin again, that you do not have to be held down by the sins and the mistakes of your past, that you do not have to walk in the same bondage that you lived under in the past, that you can have victory over the past that you can have victory over yourself, that you can have victory over all the things that have tried to hold you down and back in your life. You can begin again. But in light of this beautiful day, 
When our brothers and sisters are out there getting baptized, we have to ask the main question, which is, how do we live day by day in the new life that we have in Christ? How do you live day by day, every day in this new life that we praise the Lord for so much in church? How do we do it? As we lay down and die to our old life, our old way of seeing things and our old way of thinking about things and doing things. As we are lowered down into the water, symbolizing that we have died to those old ways and we are lifted out of the water, symbolized that we are being, symbolizing that we have been resurrected to a new life, we still have to live in the newness of that life every day day that we are here, every moment after that. Although you have gone through the act, the event of being baptized, you still have to live every day warring against the thoughts and the perspectives and the proclivities that you buried with your old life. Those old thoughts are still going to cross your mind. In fact, some of those old thoughts are so entrenched in your mind that they may make you think that they are a part of who you are. You've lived saved and sanctified as a child of God for years now, but you are still mean as a junkyard dog. I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm going to look up at the ceiling. Oh, you're not doing the same stuff you used to but you've become judgmental. Or you're talking about your brothers and sisters in church behind their back, or you're tearing them down with gossip. Oh, we may have been made alive in Christ, but now we actually have to be alive in Christ. We have to still contend with who are old with our old thought patterns and who our old experiences and pains and backgrounds told us we were back in the day. It reaches into every part of our lives. Some of us here who know the Lord have said that they would never treat their kids the way that their parents treated them. That they would never lash out at their children the same way their parents lashed out at them. But when times get tough and the temper gets lost, we find ourselves doing exactly what our parents did. Acting in ways and doing and saying the same things that our parents did to us that hurt us and tore us down. Some of us can't even have a good relationship with our spouses and family because of what we experienced when we were five, six, and seven years old. And here we are today extending the generational pain and the generational curses to our children and their children and so on and so on and so on. So again, how do we begin again? How do we live in the new life, the newness of life that we have been given as being alive in Christ? The scriptural text for our theme that you can begin again is 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if 
anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things have become new. But how do you live out each day, each moment as a new creation? As someone that no longer thinks and feels and acts or reacts or sees the same or sees things the same as they did before. The only way that any of us are going to be able to live out the purpose, the potential, the will of God in our lives is for us to live in the newness of life that we are given through Christ and be born again. I will say it again. The only way that any of us are going to be able to live out the purpose, the potential, the will of God in our lives is for all of us to live in the newness of life that we are given through Christ and through being born again. But how do we do that every day? day. One of the first things that you have to do in order to live in the newness of life is to be real with yourself. And you have to be real with the Lord. The younger brothers and sisters call it keeping it 100. But the Bible simply states that you have to confess in your heart and to our Heavenly Father that you have a problem. We just have to confess to our Heavenly Father that we have a problem, that we are bound by ourselves, and that we can't be free without Him in our lives. That's step number one. It starts right there with the realization that either we are dead in our sins and in our flesh, or there are still vestiges of our old mindset and the flesh still alive in us, even though Christ is living in our hearts. We can't be too afraid or prideful to admit that. Even Brother Paul admitted that. How am I going to sit up here like I'm not affected and I'm not dealing with things in the flesh that rise up in my thoughts even as a born-again child of God. It's something that you have to contend with every day, multiple times of the day. Anytime your spouse says something that hits you the wrong way, you have to contend with it. But next, beloved, we have to realize and understand that getting saved and getting baptized are not just events in and of themselves but they are the start of a process. They are the beginnings of a journey. They are the beginnings of a path that you will be on as long as you are alive. You will be in a consistent, constant state of becoming. Becoming more. Becoming stronger. Becoming more victorious in life. That's how we can say that all things happen for the good of those that love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise. This is why we are told to renew our minds daily. 
renew your mind daily, moment by moment, because we literally have to change the thoughts that we let ourselves think. You can be saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, talking in tongues, shouting across the front of the church, and still be stuck with the same mind and thoughts that you had when you were still in the world. Still having the same triggers, still attracted to the same mess, having a new life in Christ, but still thinking like that old creature you used to be. How do you live in the newness of life that Christ gives us? You see, this is why the work of the Holy Spirit is so critical to our growth and development as mature children of the King. Look at your neighbor and say the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4 and 12 states that for the word of God is, a, is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That means, beloved, you got to stay in the word if you want to be a new creation. You got to stay in the word. It is the spirit that reveals to us the source of our thoughts and desires. It is the spirit that feeds us the right food for thought. The spirit reveals the answer to the question of where our thoughts even come from, which for the most part, if we admit it, is in direct conflict with the needs of the spirit, with the things of the spirit, because it comes from the flesh. That's why one of the most painful and difficult things to do, one of, but one of the most thing, things that we need the most prayer on is our ability to accept what the Spirit reveals to us about ourselves. Why? Because in accepting what the Spirit reveals to us in the Word about ourselves, we have to admit that we have been wrong all of this time about who we thought we were and how we have been thinking about and seeing the world around us. And let me tell you something, we hate to be wrong, right? We have to admit that we may have been, been wrong in the way that we were thinking about life and its challenges to the point of letting life's pain, our own separate and personal issues, tell us how to think about ourselves and everything around us. And it has put you in a place that you've been for such a long time, even if you know Christ. It's like, it's, like, it's like you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. You're living in a period of time in your past and you won't let yourself live in the present or the future. Anytime you're presented with a new opportunity, you think about that, what that person did to you in the past. You think about the pain that you went through and the pain that you felt years ago and it is keeping you bound. It is keeping you from realizing the new thing that God is trying to do in your life. It is keeping you from being able to begin again. Even now the devil is attacking someone with thoughts of pride because you think you're right in the way that you've been thinking about things. 
So the first thing you do is you think about them. Will they, will they, will he, will she, will they shouldn't have? But it all comes down to you, baby. It all comes down to you. You are the one who's being held down and held back. These thought patterns we have, this way of seeing things and thinking has defined who you are. It has defined you, but it has also confined you. It has told you who you are. It has bound you to thinking in a distinct way about yourself and about situations. But if any man or woman be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's why in Romans 12, we are told, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind, beloved, is done by changing the way that you think and what you think. It is something that we have to do many times a day. But I understand. I know that we have a tendency to be hard on ourselves. Even though God forgives us, we still have a tough time forgiving ourselves for the things that we've done. Sometimes I have to forgive myself for the mistakes that I've made, even though God said, I throw them in a sea of forgetfulness. I still remember what I have done. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years, and there are times when they still lived as their old selves. They still didn't get who Jesus really was. They expected him to build an earthly kingdom and rule as a conquering king. And when, but when things got dark, Peter denied him. The rest of the disciples ran for their lives. They had been with him, lived, laughed, walked and ate with him for three years, but when the time came that he needed them the most, they were still living in their old thoughts and in their old mind states. But the beautiful thing is in all of this is that even though the disciples had a tendency to get it wrong, then get it wrong, then get it wrong again, Christ still held them. Christ still loved them. He forgave them. He restored them. He let them know that he still believed in them. He let them know that they could begin again. And as he ascended into heaven, he gave them marching orders. He let them begin again. Even though they didn't understand the newness of life that they had, God still used them. He used them to build his church. He used them to spread his love and spread his word. When Brother Paul was dead in his sins, he was the single biggest, most dangerous threat to the church and the people of God that the church knew of at that time. But when he was made alive in Christ, he became the most effective minister of the gospel that the world has ever seen. He became the greatest apostle. Even though we have been full of doubt, even though we at times have still lived in our own mindsets, even in our frailty and disbelief, 
God still loves us. He still believes in you. He calls on us to spread his love. He calls on us to spread his word. He calls on us to begin again. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. We have to remember that a risen Savior still has his scars. The scars didn't disappear when Jesus arose from the dead. He had his disciples touch them so they would know that he was really dead. The scars from his crucifixion stayed on him so that we would know what he had been through. We have been scarred by life. We all have been scarred by our failures, scarred by our past. But the beautiful thing is that even as God brings new life into you, even though he makes you a new creature and you still see those scars, you'll be able to look at those scars and say, I once was dead, but now I am alive. I have been to hell and back and I have the scars to prove it, baby. Because you are now alive in Christ, you can begin again. You don't have to stay locked in the past because you are a new creation. You can walk on in the newness of life. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Someone here needs to know that with Jesus in your heart, you can live again. You can begin again. Oh, you'll have the power to walk right. You'll have the power to talk right. Jesus came so that you would have life and life more abundantly. You can begin again. Even though life may have left you dead in your heart and dead in your emotions, he can bring you back. You can learn how to live again. You can be whole. He said, I make everything new. You don't have to carry that pain with you anymore. You can be free in Jesus' name. You can begin again. Oh, the world may have left you beaten and crippled on the side of the road, but he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. You can begin again. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Jesus Christ, you can begin again. Oh, somebody give him praise on today. Hallelujah. Oh, worship him on today. Everybody standing. Everybody standing. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to your name. Let's give him praise on this morning. You can begin again. Look at your neighbor and say, you can begin again. Hallelujah. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. There may be someone here under the sound of my voice, someone online. 
who in your body you may be alive and breathing. You may be moving from day to day, but you're not really living. You're dead in your past. Dead because of what you've done. Dead from what life and the world has done to you. But Jesus came so that we would have life and life everlasting. You don't have to just exist, but you can truly live. You can begin again. There was a time in my life when I thought that I was going to be doing the things that I was doing forever and not in a good way. I felt that I would never be able to stop doing some of the things that I was doing. They were habitual. I was conditioned. I felt that I was going to be bound by these habits and patterns for the rest of my life. But I'm here to let you know, I'm here to let somebody know that you can be free. I'm here to let somebody know that you can have victory over whatever is holding you down. I'm here to let somebody know that you can begin again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can begin again. God has a plan and a purpose for your life that is so much more than what your past and experience have said about you. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Thus saith the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will bring you back from the dead. You will be alive in Christ. You can begin again. Oh, I'm talking about being alive in the truest sense. You don't have to be the walking dead anymore. You can have life and life evermore. Beloved, there is someone here that wants to have true life, that is tired of wondering if this is all that there is. I'm here to let you know that there is so much more. I'm here to let you know that you can have life and life eternal. And if that's you, just come on down here to the altar. You're not alone. We want to stand with you. We want to love on you. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. If that is you, just come on down here. Even if you're already saved and you're facing a dead situation, come on down. We want to pray with you too. Don't be ashamed. Come on down. You are among family. You are among friends. We love you. We want you to make it. We want you to be okay. Come on down. We love you. We want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Mm. Oh, yeah.
give him praise, beloved. Hallelujah. Somebody here is finding new life. Someone here is beginning again. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Oh, let's give the Lord another praise on today. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Oh, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's give the Lord praise for these who have come forward realizing that they can begin again. All of us can begin again. No matter how long you've been in church, you can begin again. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for these that have come to realize and declare that they are beginning again. There may be someone here, Father God, that already knows you and they are realizing now that they, it is time for them to rise above those things, even that have been holding them down all of this time, those thought processes, those old perspective, that old pain, that old hurt, that old fear, that old weakness. Father God, we thank you that you are allowing us to begin again. So, Father God, from this time on, we pray that you would continue to renew our minds daily. That you would teach us what to think. That you would teach us how to see things. Help us to see ourselves and see each other and see situations as you see them. Father God, we pray a special blessing. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us and that your presence would be with us from this time on as we seek to live life anew in you. Father God, we also pray especially for those that have come to realize that they need you in their life. We pray for those that have now decided to accept Jesus Christ into their life because they are now beginning again if any man or woman be in Christ, if any child be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we thank you for them. Please repeat after me, dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die for our sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he came down to earth to die for my sins. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I now accept him into my life as my Lord and Savior. And because he rose, I can begin again. I can have new life. And I have the victory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise on today. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen. Well, beloved, my brother and my sister, if you prayed that prayer with me, 
and you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you are now saved. Let's give the Lord another praise. But this is just the beginning of your new life. What we want you to know is that you are not walking into this new life alone. That there is a whole church of people that is praying for you, that has is, has gone through, and is now going through what you are going through, and we are with you. We want to connect with you.